brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, tour videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss. So become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Rock me like a hurricane, Higher Side Chatters. From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood. And as the nation dives further into pandemic paranoia, we see so many people paralyzed by fear and propaganda that it is getting hard to believe. And the loyal subjects of the Corona World Order pray to not get wiped away before the technocratic capstone cabal can save them with the thing they should really be scared of, a corporate chemical cocktail injection designed for all the healthy people, because the sick ones are already in the sadistic system's desired state. I'm worried, guys. It seems like we can no longer build strong local relationships when we've been made to see every vector of human contact as a threat to our life. We can no longer escape the watchful eye of the big machine when a digital system has been injected between any and all non-essential person-to-person contact. And we slip further towards their transhumanistic, anti-human end goal when we can't even communicate an ice-breaking smile or hold a door open for one another without violating protocol. Put your mask on, people. The ritual has begun. Well, when the heat gets this high, we call in the heavy hitters and serious sense makers, and that means we're bringing back our old pal Crow. It's been almost two years since we last got together, but I'm sure we all remember Crow's claim to fame as the man who shot the lunar wave and declared the moon a facade. We've talked to him many times about many things, including NASA's cartoon images, the provocative Hattiebov material, terraforming UFOs, spiders and owls, the shape of this island Earth. Hidden history, timeline manipulations, false chronology, and the full-spectrum control grid that dominates our very existence. He goes hard in the paint on his own Weird Stuff podcast at crow777radio.com and has even released a documentary about the Lunar Wave saga called Shoot the Moon in the Time Since the Last Time. So let's do the damn thing. My friend and yours, the Blackbird of podcasting, the COVID-19 case-cracking Corvid and Skywatcher extraordinaire. Crow, my man, how the hell are you? <laughs> Thanks for having me. And I gotta say, if you did one single bong today and pulled that soliloquy off, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I try, but you know, I'm seasoned at this point. And it's been too long. I'm really happy we could do this again. I just thought it was an appropriate time to reach out because not only do people tend to appreciate a familiar face in these troubled times, 
but our current situation is exactly the sort of thing that we've talked about. These are the end goals we've seen on the course syllabus of New World Order 101. And so I guess just to dive in, how you feeling, buddy? How you been looking at this situation? I'm in the great state of Rhode Island. For people to put that into context, four Rhode Islands fit in San Diego County where Greg is, where I used to be. We've not changed much of anything, but we're in a very small state and much of what we see seems to be population driven. My wife showed up at a grocery store without a mask. They said, will you? She said, no. They said, will you pull your shirt up over your face of all things? She said, no, thank you. We have not been denied entry anywhere yet. But to be fair, we're respectful. The last thing we want to do is add to this kind of climate of fear. So when we're in a store, if I see someone with a mask come on the aisle and they're nervous, I look them dead in the eye from 30 feet away and say, would you like me to get off this aisle? You know, I think it's critical not to add to the fear because at the end of the day, that's really the linchpin of all this is the level of fear that we've seen. I agree. Tensions are high and we're trying to be a positive force in the world. We're not trying to make things more difficult. We're not trying to create more trouble or more trauma. But I'm right there with you. My wife's been harassed at the grocery store. What is it with harassing the wives? You know, no one said anything to me, but, you know, <laughs> what can you do? It is quite disturbing. And as we were talking before we recorded this, there's all these kinds of flaws in the logic. Like, you can't be within six feet of someone, but you can let a team of strangers prepare your food. They just can't hand it to you because, you know, they got this whole thing about supporting the local restaurants so they don't go out of business. Well, isn't that a risk? Isn't that more of a risk than walking past someone on the beach? It just doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> we're basically, to be blunt about it, we're looking at the largest coup d'etat in the history of the world that we're aware of. That's what's going on. When the dust clears, we're going to be somewhere different, aren't we? Mm -hmm. And everybody, even if they don't want to admit it yet, they know that that's true. You know, you and I are in a thing that we do for a living where we have contact with so many people from so many walks of life. And I know I can almost imagine that you're no different than on an average day, I'm going to field 500 emails mm -hmm. during as it stepped up to this. A lot of people that were in the money markets, which is a thing I don't really pay attention to, are claiming that our fiat system is based on debt, which we all know is true, but that that was it. There was no more debt to accrue. So the system was going to collapse. And that part of what's going on is a reset of that. I don't know whether that's right or wrong. I know the people who told me should know better than I do. It remains to be seen. But I think we can all agree when the dust clears on this, we're going to be somewhere we've never been before. Right, right. There's definitely a lot of economic gamesmanship going on. And it is tough to parse exactly what it is. And we will see on the other side. But in terms of what kicked this all off, this virus thing, I know we've both interviewed Dr. Kaufman as well as Don Lester and David Parker, and I find their perspective compelling, that viruses are not anything we can catch from the outside, that they're actually excretions of a toxic cell, which is why they show up under the microscope when you look at people who are unwell. And I've said that you can explain a huge chunk of these numbers that they show us on TV just by breaking down the problems with testing, the treatments, and the trading of one illness for another, but I'm still not sure about contagiousness overall or how to look at these points in our lives when we do seem to get sick at random. I'm sure everyone has a few personal examples, but where are you on this stuff, on the nature of viruses or the existence of them? 
I'm in lockstep with the guests that you've had on. One of the things that we've done over the years at Crow 777 Radio is we've pointed out that we entered at some point of science in the modern age into this thing called theories. And we've gone back to so many of them to show that a theory is just an idea. And if a theory has been here very long, it's not even a good idea because it can't be proved the law. And in the age of theories, we have things like germ theory and Lester and Kaufman and others that we've both had on. I'm in lockstep with them. I think that these are demonstrably true things that they're stating. And if you go back to common sense, we could ask simple questions like, well, if contact between humans could be deadly, how did we last so long? And then, of course, someone's going to bring up this plague or that plague or the other plague. But I think at the base of it all is if you realistically look at what people like Dr. Andy Kaufman are laying down, that's demonstrable. We just had on Dr. Bear Lando. There's another person. I just hooked you up with Clive DeCarl, who's another person. And by the way, Don and David Lester, that book, from the time that I had them on, on Amazon, that book has flown off the shelves to the point where I'm getting emails now that it's backordered. So it shows that deep inside of people, they're looking for a better way, and they're impressed with some of the options that people like you and I are laying down. And that's really where it's at. We can say anything we want, but until a human mind focuses and determines what they think is helpful, you haven't done much, right? I mean, you can sing to the choir all day long, I guess is what I'm getting at. <laughs> well said. And yeah, you mentioned Clive to me before we started. I didn't realize it was Clive DeCarl. Yes, I have had him on. It's been years, but this is a good time probably to reconnect for sure. So what's strange to me is that I hear in these same presentations sometimes that viruses don't make us sick. But then when going over the coronavirus data, they'll note how hospitals are being encouraged to mark flu and pneumonia deaths as COVID-19 to inflate the numbers. Right. I get that. But then what is flu and pneumonia? Or when we both spoke to Dr. Kaufman, he broke down exosomes and terrain theory really well. But then we also talked about Royal Raymond Reif and his superior microscope and the healing device he developed to find disease in the body and break it up after finding its frequency. So what is he seeing and breaking up? It's like, I just wonder these things. It's kind of like false flags or some of the mass shooting events. There are multiple stages of awakening that still get you to the same place. You can still say, well, I don't have the exact answer, but I can see a lot of holes in what's being presented to us. Well, I'll tell you one thing right off. People could be a lot better off in this world if they paid more attention to language. As this thing broke, you were told that it was a novel virus. Go look up the word. Then you were shown the presumptive cases. Go look up the word. Andy Kaufman was all over this. From my point of view, with all the, I don't even know how much research I've done since I began doing this. By the way, you were the first guy that ever interviewed me. Um, my wife and I just realized. But to get back to the point, from my point of view, I think the best description we had was from Dr. Frank Olina who is another one of these doctors that is not mainstream, is not allopathic, was trained in Ayurvedic, Chinese, so many methods. And the way he described it, and by the way, the Germans had arrived at this and were supposed to have published, but were apparently blocked. When you get something like what we call the flu, the way they were going to describe it as a new definition was your electromagnetic field had dropped, and thereby that drop in your field actually draws in what's about to make you feel bad, but it's electromagnetic in nature. And they described it in an interesting way. 
they said it was electromagnetic vampirism, like your energy is getting sucked off. So when I started to look at, you know me, I always go back for the ancient things that I can get my hands on. And in those old texts, they're talking about, oh, a demon did this or a spirit did this. Now, when you start to think about electromagnetics, maybe that kind of language we don't recognize anymore starts to make more sense. For my part, where I am currently, with everything I know currently, the best description that I will accept for now is that it's electromagnetic in nature. And when you talk about Royal Rife, I think we could point to something like a cancer cell that has a frequency. And so it's like a tuning fork, right? If you hit a tuning fork and put another one next to it, it will sympathetically vibrate. So to me, that's what Royal Rife was on about is that everything has a frequency. As a matter of fact, tomorrow I'm putting out an episode with the director of the Walter Russell Museum. Mm. And this is in the same vein of everything we're talking about. Everything is a frequency, a vibration. He did the Universal One. For me, the long short answer that I just gave you is electromagnetic would be a better way to describe when we have what we call a flu or a cold. That's what's going on from my point of view. Yeah, you know, I'm with you on that. A resource that Dr. Kaufman cited as someone he finds to be inspirational is Dr. Thomas Cowan, who I've been listening to a lot. I try to interview him. He's really not that interested in doing public interviews or taking the wrath of being on the outside of the box with all this, but he's very confident in his positions. And he cites a book called Invisible Rainbow that's out there. And I've been reading that. And that's exactly what it's about. It's like the history of medicine and the history of electrical technologies within medicine, because back in the Edison day, not only were they first lighting light bulbs, they were also applying shocks to people for all kinds of weird reasons, thinking that it was helping them or hurting them. And they were citing all these dangers. And in this book, and also according to Dr. Thomas Cowan, when you look at these giant periods of illness, like the Spanish flu, you can see a correlation with major level changes in the electrification of the earth, whether it's radar or radio usage or Morris code. <laughs> yeah, well, 5G, of course, applies to today. Right. But even these older technologies, also, when you look at the people who were getting sick, it was these guys coming off Navy ships everywhere. Right. Well, right. look at the satellites and the electromagnetic radiation coming off of a ship that's that's doing radar and all kinds of stuff. So I think there's a good point there. I was going to point out that you live next to a thing that I've pointed out before. You know where uh, College Grove is there off Highway 94? Yes. Okay. So the frontage road that runs parallel to 94, if you're going towards the beach on that road at the first light past College Grove, there's an abutment, a concrete abutment. And on it, it says the first worldwide radio network. And it's very early 1900s. I think they switched the date. I thought it was 1907, but someone, after I mentioned this on one of my podcasts, a San Diegan took a picture and sent it. And I realized, wait a minute, they changed the date. But you see, that's exactly what you're talking about. How many people would think that right there in San Diego, the first worldwide hint, hint, hint radio network is being announced as having been done? And so if it is correct to consider that maybe a better way to describe some of these illnesses is electromagnetic, exactly what you just said is coming into play because the frequency, for lack of better terms, of everywhere is changing with these technologies, as we're about to see with the onset of 5G which is basically microwave spectrum. And 
that doesn't exist in nature for the most part. It's true. It's true. And uh, Dr. Cowan, he says, you know, if you doubt this stuff, if you doubt it has an effect, you have to realize that you can send a signal worldwide within a couple of minutes, which means the field is everywhere. Radar works at great distances. Radio was going around the world. So it's it's going through something. These signals are everywhere. They're w more widespread than we realize. And he also used the example of Hong Kong flu, which is interesting because it was at a time depth where there's not a lot of travel, but within days or weeks or very quickly after they announced the Hong Kong flu, people started getting it in Ohio. Well, guess what? There's not a lot of international travel between Hong Kong and Ohio, but what there is are these fields that can, I guess, just impact certain population centers. Maybe it's one factor of many. Maybe they also are in a heavily polluted area or some factories spewing some bullshit in their hometown. So on top of that, or like you said, maybe the change in field opens you up to the pollutants that are all over your particular environment. But it's definitely something with the electromagnetic electrification of the earth and the systems in our body that plays a role here. I'm with you. Well, think about this. If it's correct, if we can accept as correct what the Germans were going to publish, that it's electromagnetic vampirism as a cause for something like the flu. Think about this. Long time ago, I was reading some old book called The Light of Egypt, and in that, these were supposed to be adepts from the early 1800s who were supposedly going to publish all these things that the world was ready to know. But they pointed out why people in the Middle East wear those more gown-like clothing. And the reason they cite is because if you put on tight pants, tight shoes, tight socks, or if you're a woman, a corset back in the day, what you're doing is restricting your magnetic field and thereby your spirituality which I thought were interesting things. So now take it up to where you and I are. If people have, you know, you've heard it through the 60s, the age of Aquarius, they talked about auras. Well, if we throw out all the hippy dippy stuff and we get back to some semblance of provable things, the electromagnetic field, what happens to a human electromagnetic field when fear is introduced in millions of minds? Would that make the electromagnetic field drop? Would it become lower? I'm just saying. I'm speculating here, but I think these, to me, are why the ideas are interesting. And by the way, Light of Egypt was published, if I'm not mistaken, back in the late 1800s, where he's pointing out that almost every spiritual group of people wore more like robes, and the reason for that is to not constrain the human biosphere or the electromagnetic field, because putting on a tight belt would drop your spiritual ability, for lack of a better way to describe it. Huh. That is really interesting. That's a really fascinating point about the clothing. And I guess that's an excuse for me to wear a bathrobe at the grocery store now. But <laughs> they'll shoot you at the door. <laughs> yeah, Go no ahead, mask. Show up in a bathrobe. Exactly. And well, that is interesting about the gowns they put on at the hospital because they're kind of free flowing. There's very yeah. few places in Western society where we see free flowing clothing. And uh, it's definitely not in public spaces. It's all very. You know, when you're in a state of healing or relaxation, we tend to associate with this type of clothing. So just interesting. Right. When we're just hanging out and we want to feel comfortable and good, that bathrobe. So think about your actual state of mind dressed like that. Of course, we have all these stigmas. You can't go out or you look like a lazy bum kind of idea. But the point is, we all know if we can just kick it in our bathrobe, we're never more comfortable, are we? Right, right. Hey, Lebowski was very chill and he always wore a bathrobe. <laughs> 
the dude abides. <laughs> Indeed. And so what about the esoteric side of this whole COVID operation? I do think having everyone wearing masks has some really occult undertones. I hear people talking about how COVID-19 could stand for covert ID, or even that cartoon coronavirus image we're shown on TV looks a lot like a globe covered in 5G towers. And if you go back to the London Olympic opening ceremony in 2012, it's all about kids in hospital beds and a big pandemic, stuff that didn't make a lot of sense then, but now it's pretty obvious what they were referring to. But what are you seeing when it comes to occult aspects in this whole operation? You know, I'll tell you a little tale about my podcast. And by the way, you were the first guy that interviewed me. And when that happened, I said to my wife, why would anyone want to interview me? Maybe I should have just said old man shakes his fist at cloud. But anyhow, <laughs> we did it and you posted it and it was like mega popular. And that kind of led the path that I went on. But to get up to where you were going, what was the I'm sorry, what was the point you just made? You were talking about. Oh, just all the esoteric elements. What do you see in oh, when yeah. it comes to symbolism and that kind of stuff with this operation? So for four, almost five years, all these podcasts, a lot of people would say, oh, you're just conspiratorial. You want to know something? Nobody's saying that anymore because they were all pointing to the day that we arrived at, right? So when you go back and look at the things like the Olympics opening, how do you not recognize what that's about? But here's a maybe more common sense way to demonstrate to someone who wants to you know, accuse you of being conspiratorial. I used to be a roadie for years, and by proxy, I knew a lot of people who were in the entertainment industry. Some of these people made commercials. Think about how long from the time a commercial for TV has thought about to the time it airs is usually more than a year. Sometimes if they're going to fast track it, it's a number of months. How is it that we got to this place where every commercial in less than six weeks, actually it was less than three weeks, was singing the same song? Now you can go up and look at when you can look up how long it's given for some that you can find the production time. And it just goes to show this was coming and apparently people knew it was coming. And I don't really think that's arguable, but that doesn't change anything about where we are now. This thing is happening, isn't it? You know, so for me, what it comes down to is how should we conduct ourselves now? How can we do things to hopefully benefit all the people that, I mean, let's face it, it's coming up on six, seven weeks now. People can't make a house payment. They might not even have food in their refrigerator. That's what bothers me. And so that's where I choose to think about it. But to be honest with you, Greg, I don't think anyone can demonstrate that there weren't endless places that knew this was coming. As a matter of fact, the state of Michigan was just outed for having approved a pandemic budget the June or July before it happened. Interesting. Yes. And so many politicians have sold stock before this after a closed door meeting with the CDC. Yep. But when it comes to the esoteric or symbolic underpinnings of this, if we want to say ritual to be provocative, we can call it that. One thing that I think is interesting, we talked about before we started recording, was the presidential seal. It's not on the podium that they're using when they address us every day, which also not socially distancing, not wearing masks, just these 10 guys every day who are interacting with more people than most of us would. They don't seem all that concerned, but the podium has changed to just say the White House. And we know there's a lot of power in the symbols. We know that these things mean something. And I'm curious what that could mean. That's right. Every single one of those things is a device. Now, if you think about it in that way, 
your mind can start to shift to understand what something as simple as a logo, which actually is like saying logos, isn't it? So if you think about them as what they actually are, you can begin to get in it. Here's an example. How long have people been looking at the American flag with the gold fringe and thinking, oh, that's just a pretty flag and not understanding that that's not what the gold fringe means? I first noticed it over six years ago in my tiny town at the town hall. So I said, how come you're flying an admiralty flag? Don't you know that means you're at war? <laughs> and no one in the town hall even knew. And so then I started thinking, well, who put it there? And no one knew. These things all have meaning and it shouldn't be lost on anyone that when the presidential addresses are no longer being done with a presidential seal, it might be easier to let go if it happened once or something, but that's not what's happened at all. They're showing the gold fringe flag and the seal is nowhere to be seen. But to be honest with you, <laughs> how many people have both of us had on that said there's been no constitution since 33, and then the hardcore people that want to say it's really 1871 or something like this? Slowly but surely, we've been moving away from these ideas. But the fact remains that each of these people swore an oath to the constitution when they took office. Now, Obama, there was a strange duck, right? He did it twice. And if I remember... He took the second one, his second oath, because they messed up a word or something the first time, I forget what it was, in front of the picture of an interesting person the second time Obama took oath. Now, I went to look up because I haven't paid attention to politics. I had to go actually see if Trump had swore the oath. He did. But it's funny the way they word it, to the best of your ability. Is that the escape clause? Point is, is they're still all swearing they will defend and uphold the Constitution. And that's a funny thing. I saw two administrators of a university on video commiserating about where we are right now. They pointed out that their university had been going for over 100 years through the Civil War, through World War I and II, and they'd never shut their doors. And that's why they were commiserating. But then the director of the university states, did you know that if you go to Washington, D.C., all those old beautiful buildings you see that are just so gorgeous, every one of those is constitutional. And then he made this statement. Every one that has been put up since that is not gorgeous is unconstitutional. So these are big ideas. Do people want to get to a point where they demand the Constitution back? Or are we going somewhere different? I don't know. But the real problem is, I'm guessing the average person listening, the only thing they remember about the Constitution is probably from Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is definitely good to have some foundational documents to point to as like a gold standard. But the world is so damn different than it was back then. It's the same reason why I don't think our Supreme Court should be people in their 90s or that the presidency <laughs> should be between two guys who are losing their minds in their 80s. This is a completely different world. And I don't want these people making decisions on internet technologies or just bringing in their consultants from Google to tell them the best policies to enact because the technocracy has taken over and it's happening with the approval of people that I don't even think understand the technologies. That's part of the problem, right? When something like Facebook has all that power with Lord knows how much data that is data mine that gives them a time machine, they can predict events to a 99% certainty. The data that Facebook alone has control of makes the government a bit impotent, right? And if the government wants any of that, they got to play together. You know, there's a lot of people that'll tell you right now, and some of them I respect. I won't drop names, but they're in 
positions of money markets and things like that, which are far from anything I pay attention to. And what they claimed on the third day, I marked the beginning of this at March 11. And the reason I know is because I stayed up past midnight to write a blog. I realized all these things we've been running shows on for almost five years, it's happening right now. So I wrote the blog, but what they said was that what had been going on behind the scenes, not reported, and people couldn't see unless they had jobs that let them, is that the government merged with all industry. And they were already using words like national socialism. Now, I've seen the argument for weeks now. What do we call it? Is it fascism? Is it socialism? Is it? I think you and I agree maybe technocracy is the right word, but yeah. suffice it to say, what we had some 10 weeks ago is not what we have now, it appears. I agree. It's again with the, the last point I made is that this is such a new world that we need new terms. Technocracy right. is the right one. National socialism, that's something that uh, the technocracy is way beyond, I would say. But I also can't have you here without talking about space a little bit. And there has been a lot of talk that this coronavirus thing is all air cover for an incoming asteroid impact. I know you were reading between the lines of some marketing that suggested something like this might happen on Easter. Obviously, we dodged that bullet. But what are your thoughts on this impact hypothesis? Can we even be impacted from things in space the way you see things? From my point of view, no. And by the way, I owed everyone of my bad. I did the one thing you don't do in our position, and I made a prediction which I knew better as I was doing it. It was right when the Civil War began. But to get back to the point, from my point of view, we live in a closed system. Everything that's ever going to be here is here. Nothing comes in from space. Now, a lot of people will take umbrage with what I just said, but there's a big difference between watching the History Channel and actually doing what I do, which is go back to the oldest documents. And I mean as old as we claim we have printed materials and then spend five years behind a telescope. From my point of view, we're in a closed system and nothing's coming in or out. There's a few things that are interesting as I was on my path behind my scope. One of the things was when I first got my first scope, it was right when Hale-Bopp showed up in the 90s. That's a comment. And I was so excited. I mean, I'd gone into debt big. Like the only time I'd ever gone into debt was for a car to get that scope. And I had it and there was this comment coming and I was going to get to look at it. It was the most disappointing thing ever. And as I got into it, I realized the mainstream will tell you the best view of a comet's with your naked eye or binoculars. Well, they weren't kidding. I was thinking, how can that be? I got this big honking 8-inch fully robotic scope, and this is the most disappointing thing. So it led me to start researching and to know things. And as I got into it, one of the things was all the comets fascinated me. So I could recognize any comet that had been since we had cameras. They're all white, maybe a little blue, maybe a little yellow on a couple of them, but you can identify them. They have a look. What happens sometime after the year 2000 is comets turn green. And by the way, they don't look like comets mostly anymore. Here's the true thing about a comet. When a real comet actually comes, the amateur community busts out in a big way cameras. And when you go do an image search, there are hundreds of images of any given comet that's actually there. They just announced, of course, with the COVID thing, Atlas, Comet Atlas. Of course, you know why? Because Atlas carries the world on his shoulders. The whole world's involved in all this. But lo and behold, it's another green smudge in the sky that doesn't look like a comet. The point I'm making here 
is you can't accept what you're told anymore. You've got to go out and do research or firsthand observe in some way. Now, this Atlas comet they were claiming was going to be brighter than Venus. Well, I've heard this tale before with Ison, which was another green smudge. And the same thing happened. It just went away. They were saying, this will be the comet of the century, la da 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 but it didn't emerge. So finally, after Ison, there was another comet. And I said, I've had enough. I'm going to figure this out. I went out with a wide field lens, opened up my camera lens for something like five minutes. Sure enough, there was a little green smudge there, but it did not look like a typical comet that I was familiar with. So the short story is I can't tell you exactly what's going on, but I can tell you that something funny is going on here. Comets look like comets and they're not green or they weren't green before the year maybe 2006, something like that. And so we're being fed all these old school ideas, which we're now poking holes in. I mean, the lunar wave is that in spades, right? How can I possibly be the first guy who filmed a thing that's been filmed, I don't know, 50 times by now? It's been filmed in front of Jupiter a couple times, Saturn. How can I be the first guy when there's observatories all over the world? And how can it be that I filmed that and then I eventually said, well, all you followers go to your observatories and no one would comment. I think one place commented that it was clearly atmospheric. I'm just saying, there's a tale that's told us about space, and I've come to understand that you shouldn't accept that tale. <laughs> I always find that quite provocative. And one good way to bridge the coronavirus and the space construct is to look at the images, because we've always talked about NASA's images being more like cartoons, that the celestial bodies are greatly altered to get the sort of visual representations they give us. And the same can be said for this coronavirus. We see this full <laughs> color, detailed image on all the news stories. But if you actually look at the thing under an electron microscope, it doesn't look anything like that image from TV. And this alone is manipulation that makes the thing seem more scary than its true image. It's all cartoons, man. <laughs> that's the first thing I asked Dr. Andy Kaufman when I had him on. I said, Andy, let's do our due diligence. Has anyone ever been shown to die or get sick from a virus? And he said, no. And so then I said, what's this thing every night on the TV, this kind of blue and red with all the little points on it? I said, is that a picture of anything? He said, no, that's an artist's rendering. And then he pointed out that there were what he called, I think a micrograph was the word he used. And what they actually look like, the thing they call a virus is A, not living. Two doesn't replicate or eat, and it looks like basically a flake of something is the best way I could describe it. People could look it up. So, I mean, I'm with you all day long. What the hell? If you can have a real image, then why are you putting up the fake one? And by the way, why does the fake one look nothing like an actual what they call a virus does look like? Yeah. Curious questions. Makes no sense. Yeah, it's programming. <laughs> I agree. And uh, I listened to a show that you did recently regarding... The new moon, and kind of like what you were saying before, you made a prediction that you invited people to try to prove or disprove that after the new moon, when it's just starting to come back into view and we have that sliver of light we can see, apparently you can actually see through the unlit part of the moon. Can you tell us a little bit about that and really just how people have responded to that recent call to action? Well, I did it a long time ago, and I did it again now. There used to be accounts from the Royal Astronomy Groups back in the 1800s from a couple people 
who claimed they had witnessed, like one guy said he saw Jupiter go all the way behind the moon and it never went away. It looked like a black dot. There were other things, and there are things in our world, like look at some of the Middle Eastern flags where they show a star right in the crescent where the dark part of the moon should be blocking it. But that was only ancillary. As I got into it, I began to realize that there used to be much more kind of first-hand observation descriptions giving, and that's when I started to study the idea of the new moon. And by the time I'd gotten to the point where I realized that the moon plays no role, could prove that the moon plays no role in what we call a solar eclipse, that's how I got to what you're talking about, where I said, when the moon is new, they're going to call it young as the very first sliver begins to light up. So the prediction I made, and some people have sent images, we just can't authenticate them, but they show what I predicted, that the moon is see-through. When it's new or very young, and there's a bright enough object supposedly occulted by it, you can see right through the moon. Part of the problem with filming a new moon is you can't see it, and so it's very difficult. And not only that, you have to have a good view of the sky to have the field of view you need to prove that you're looking where the new moon should be. But that's the call I put out, is that when the moon is what they call new or very young, in other words, coming back to being lit again, any object that is sufficiently bright that should be behind it will prove that that is see-through. And by the way, I've gotten a number of images that show what look to be a star shining through. The problem is, is I can't validate them for sure. And my problem is always, you know, if I didn't shoot it, I can only put so much trust behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure we've talked about this before, but it's just so provocative. I've got to ask you again. We are kind of in that spring equinox time and we know about the great sky calendar that's a lot more useful than our man-made number-based 12-month calendar that isn't really based on anything. It seems to be decoupled from the natural world. But I remember you saying that you don't think the moon that we see in the sky plays any real role in eclipses. Is that still true? It's provably true, actually. And there were older cultures like the Vedic culture who, from my point of view, told you the truth. It's what's called nodes. Any astrologer or anyone who looks at astrology software, you'll still see these two nodes marked. And that's what we're talking about. They're called Ketu and Rahu in the older traditions. But what I did is over multiple solar eclipses, I set out to do a single thing. I reasoned that if they want to tell me the moon's 340, you know, just over a quarter of a million miles away and that the sun is about 93 million miles away, then what you're being told is the brightest thing we know at 93 million miles, the sun is going to backlight the moon as it comes in to cover the sun, which by some miracle of chance is the exact same size. So I set out to do a single thing, to get an image of the moon before it begins to eclipse the sun and you can't do it. Can't be done. I used multiple scopes, full spectrum cameras, light obliteration, every filter known that I could get my hands on, every technique, tool, camera, just everything. You cannot do it. And I did this across multiple times, which culminated in the full solar eclipse for our country, the United States, in 2017. I think it was August 21. I don't know if I have that right. I think it was August 2017, at which point I finally proved outright that the moon plays no role in a solar eclipse and that the Vedic people were likely telling the truth. And here's another thing. It used to be easy to look up online years ago that 
the sun is what's called an infinite light source. Now, I was a roadie for years, and so I was trained on stage lighting. And so I know the difference between what's called a spotlight or an infinite light source. If you take a spotlight and you put it on someone and then you move it closer to them, their shadow will grow. If you take an infinite light source, it doesn't matter how close or far, the shadow remains the size of the thing casting the shadow. And that's the case we have with the sun. So during that last eclipse, they informed us that the shadow of the eclipsing object was roughly 70 or 72 miles. So if that's true, and they told you the truth, then the size of the thing covering the sun is that size, 70 or 72 miles, provably. So it's a lot for the average person to hear, but you can demonstrate these things. Yeah, so what is the purpose? If we think our system is closed and everything in it seems to have a purpose, what would be that purpose or mechanism behind an eclipse, either a, a solar or a lunar? When I started to talk about these things, I wanted to have these honest conversations where every mind could consider it. And what I found is when I used the word astronomy, all the astrologers zoned out. When I used the word astrology, all the astronomers zoned out. And I realized there's all this baggage with all these old terms we use. So I invented a new one and I call it the sky clock now. And then when I started calling it the sky clock, all of a sudden everyone could participate without all this baggage. Being termed. So I think what you're looking at when eclipses, it's just like having this majestic clock in the sky that is marking the eons. And whenever you see something like a transit of Venus or a solar eclipse, that's an important milestone in the sky clock. From my point of view, we go in cycles. Everything is cyclical. In the Western world, we kind of think everything is linear, but I'll, I'll make a point if I can. Every day that you look at your cell phone and you say, oh, it's noon. Well, I've got news for you. It's not noon. You might get lucky once or twice a year, but the only noon that truly exists is when the sun is over your head at the highest apex of that arc for the day. That's the only noon. And so what your mechanical clock does or digital clock is it approximate these things. And so what that does is it pulls a human being out of sync with the cycles of the sky clock, the natural clock, or the godly clock for those people that are religious. And this is manipulated all the time. Here's an example. Daylight savings time is a manipulation. Why is it that they mess with the clock an hour at both equinoxes? Well, there's a reason for that, because as everyone knows, when the time changes, you feel discombobulated for like a month or more. And then right when you start getting in the groove of things, guess what? They're changing the clock again. It keeps a human from syncing with what I call the sky clock. And so every event that happens in the sky clock is like important milestones. And that would relate to the idea of ages, like cycles of time, the idea that maybe history repeats itself. In other words, you could be in a position in this cycle, which may have all these possibilities which have already been expressed once these kinds of ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it kind of relates back to the energetic body, the electromagnetic systems we have in the person, as well as the construct that we're in. And then if we paid more attention to the sky clock and certain cycles, we would kind of know what sort of energies are coming. But of course, I think people do know, they just keep us in the dark about that. Yeah, spot on. And so when you start to think about how could all these commercials for what we're seeing now have already been made, maybe there are people in this world that know something about past cycles and knew the probability. I can tell you certainly 
that as this began, Jupiter, big boy, Saturn, big boy, and Mars, warlike, were all rising in the sky. And starting almost over a year ago, I was already saying 2020 will be a massive year. I was saying there's a presidential election, there is an Olympics, but there's all these other sky clock things going on. The biggest being the Grand Conjunction, which is a once in a generation thing. It's going to happen on a very important day, which we call the winter solstice or the low point of the sun, or where basically you could think of it, the sun is going to die off for this year, this cycle of a year, and it's going to come back to be ready for whatever happens in the next year. On that particular day, we're going to have a conjunction of the two big boys, Jupiter and Saturn. And these are generational. This is like once in 20 years, but this one, this one's a big deal. And I don't think anyone needs to question why. Look around. What's different about the world right now? Well, here's our generational marker, which is probably going to be once in a few hundred years marker gauging by what's going on in the world. But we've also, at the height of the power of the sun, at the summer solstice, we have eclipses and things and these other conjunctions going on through the year. So the sky clock was already telling us this is potentially a big year. But when you looked at everything else, it was pretty clear that things were coming to a uh, ahead. It's very true. And I sometimes get caught in a chicken or egg situation because it seems pretty clear that the capstone cabal will sync up their agendas with the space weather or the sky clock. And so sometimes I don't know if this grand conjunction, to use it as an example, is an inevitable period of turmoil, or if they consult the cycle model and say, oh, look, there's an opportunity for us to get the most out of one of our agendas. I'm sure it's a little bit of both, like maybe it's unavoidable, but they definitely throw fuel on the fire. But I think that's how magic works, is you can increase the potency of your own aims by consulting the space weather and making certain decisions or choices in alignment with that clock. There's only really one clock in our world, and that's the sky clock, and it runs absolutely everything. The problem is, is the problem with the word astronomy and the problem with the word astrology. One's hocus pocus, the other one's, you know, it creates all these problems. But when you come back to common sense, and I tell you, here where I am in Rhode Island, at some point this summer, I will go down to the beach and all the horseshoe crabs will be on the beach. You know why? Because of the phase of the moon. That's why they're there. The sky clock told them, your time, go lay those eggs, guys, like you have for thousands and thousands of years. At the same day, every year, the Great Barrier Reef, the largest living thing we're aware of, spawns all at once. What does that? Sky clock tells the Great Barrier Reef. So how is it that we can assume that those living things are somehow affected and we aren't? And that's what we've been convinced. And every episode from 9-11 to anything you want to point out, we can show you to think about how they demoted Pluto right after 9-11, because too many people were catching on. All of a sudden, this isn't a planet anymore. Nothing to see here, folks. Don't look, well, Pluto's playing in what we're doing this year, by the way. And for those who don't study a classic education, Pluto's the god of the underworld. All kinds of big ideas have been attached to that kind of personification over time. But there is no major event that isn't tied to the sky clock. And the most powerful organizations of the world never lost track of the sky clock. Do you remember back when they made a big deal out of Ronald Reagan or Nancy Reagan had an astrologer in there? Oh my God, they're making decisions based on hocus pocus and they 
made it look silly again, but they showed flat out there was, in fact, an astrologer going into the White House. And you can see the game that gets played to make people think it's ridiculous. And then you pick up the Sunday paper and there is a ridiculous example of astrology. And all these efforts are made to detach human beings from the natural cycles of time. And the natural cycles of time are dictated by the sky clock. And also, I would add, I'm of a mind that history does, in fact, repeat itself. Or if you knew the previous comparable cycle, you would have a better idea of the possibilities that could occur. And by the way, I, I would close my little thought here. The oldest encoding of 9-11 I've ever seen was from a Golden Age movie, 1930s Hollywood, where they kept encoding it on a clock on the wall. So it shows how far in advance these things are thought about. Well said. And since we're talking about this stuff and I find it to be so fun, in that episode I mentioned where you are talking about that moon challenge, you also talked about trying to film the planets and that you can actually get a better focus on Saturn or Jupiter than you can on Mars, which is curious because they say Mars is closer. A person might say that Saturn and Jupiter are supposed to be much bigger, but you made the comment that you don't agree with the solar system as presented or the distances were given, and also had a line about looking at the areas we call the poles on these so-called planets, but you don't agree with that language either. And I'm not surprised by that because all this would kind of go against a person's view that we're in a closed system. But what would you say about their distances or what it is we're even looking at with the planets? Have your ideas here evolved at all? Or do you have anything to say about how to incorporate what we're seeing out there with a closed system? Think about what's going on now, which you opened up with, where people are putting on masks and you're separated. You know, that's the first step in alchemy, the breaking apart. Pharmaceutical companies use alchemy. They just use the first step, not the second two. The full three steps for science in line with nature would be the breaking apart, the purification, then the alchemical wedding or the recombination, and then exalting, which only human beings can interact with nature in this way. What pharmaceuticals do, for the most part, is they do the breaking apart. That's what's been done to all us with the distancing. They did the breaking apart. Now, when you take it out to the sky clock, what you'll realize is so many of the systems of this world are made to convince that you are minuscule and of no consequence. So many of the systems, but it's actually the exact opposite. You are a living human man or a living human woman that was given the divine spark. You are above all other things and apparently the caretaker of this creation. You are not just not insignificant. You are the most important thing here. This place was made for you literally made for you. And so you see these things where they try to draw a picture that is so massive, you couldn't possibly wrap your head around it. That nearest star is so far, it makes you feel smaller than a molecule. Yet the opposite from my point of view is true. When I think of the sky clock and the sun and the moon and all what I call luminaries, because I don't use the word planets anymore. When I think of all the luminaries, I think of them as being here with me in part of this system, which was made for me and you and each of us. It's why we're here. It's why this is here. So I take the, the polar opposite view that maybe NASA would be trying to demonstrate that you're just an insignificant microscopic speck in the scheme of things. I have done enough research and enough hands-on observation that I take the exact opposite point of view 
And I think the most important thing in this world is what gets minimized and is being minimized right now, the importance of a living man or a living woman, each of us carrying the divine spark. We are not insignificant. We are not unimportant. Each of us is the exact opposite. But you see, thinking like this gets in the way of a new world order that wants to reduce population or control everyone or play God, basically. But the truth there is they can't play God. They can't make a living fish or an oak tree from scratch. Therefore, they cannot be gods of this place. And that's where technology comes in. So they're making this artificial control system based on technology that they can, in fact, kind of be the gods of. But it is a far cry from nature. And I don't know how well I I answered. It's a hard thing to communicate to people on a lark. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, I definitely agree with the idea that they have overlaid systems that we could say transmutate or invert the natural systems, natural sciences, um, natural energy systems, natural medicine. It's all a flip and a reversal of what we know to be true when we look at the things that have been suppressed in all three of those areas. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But when you look around at what's going on now, think about what I said about the alchemical processes. All alchemical processes are locked to the sky clock. And did you know that important alchemical processes start in the spring? Well, this started on 311. It's an alchemical process. It's the misuse of alchemy. It's what it is. It's not only locked to the sky clock, it's starting when it should, and each little step moving forward will occur when it should for this outcome that most of us are unaware of. But at the base of being aware or not aware, if you just understand how important human beings are, each of us, I describe it as having the divine spark. And what that basically means is that you and I don't have to live like an animal. If you go into the woods and you see a deer and a noise is made, that deer goes, oh my God, man, there's a noise. I got to run for my life. And truly he does got to run for his life. That's the life of an animal reacting to everything all day long. They react. They're not planning for the most part. They're reacting. A human being is the polar opposite of that. We do not have to live a reactionary life. When I come to my door, I have the freedom of choice called free will and universal law protects free will, which all these sneaky systems using fear and other things so that we'll give up our free will. Because if your free will is taken, someone has violated universal law and apparently there's a price to pay, but you can prove that you have it. Go to your front door and decide, will I go straight, left, right, sit here, or go back into the house? That proves the free will at a very simplistic level. That's such an important idea because truly universal law says that no one, just because they are powerful, can deprive you of your free will. And that's why we have each of us made into a corporation with our birth certificate, because now it's this fictitious entity or using fear, as we see now, for people to give up their rights, because they're freely doing it of their own accord, but they're doing it based on fear. So I think those are important things to consider. Mm -hmm. I agree. And uh, (laughs) I would also say everyone has to make their own decisions, but I am not getting a vaccine because the electrical manipulations that they plan to roll out work part and parcel with that vaccine because it's putting metals in your body. These things are going to affect you worse when they're rolled out, to the best of my knowledge. So I would be aware of that, too. Yeah, I've stated openly. I'll go to my grave before I ever receive another inoculation of any kind. 
from my point of view, I've spent a good part of my life since my 20s researching hard, and I don't accept that when I die, I'm done. I think human beings go on from here. So from my point of view, why would you sell your soul on any level just to be alive for the small portion of forever? That's the way I view it, but I've already made my decision. They, No one will violate my free will. I will not accept an inoculation. The problem is, is the book of Revelation paints a pretty ugly picture. People should go look at Revelation 3.11, by the way, if you want to see the games that get played in this world. 3.11 is the day this started for us here in this part of the world, but the idea is put forth that you won't be able to buy, trade, sell, eat, you know, nothing without the mark. And a lot of people are equating a tracking chip or something to do like that with the nonsense Gates has been pushing. And by the way, why would Gates? Gates has no medical degree. As far as I know, he dropped out of school. So who the hell is he to say anything about a medical idea? But I've made my decision. Not happening. I'll go to my grave before I take it. I agree. I agree. And yes, he's saying a lot of concerning stuff, kind of giving the game away, talking about invisible tattoos and IDs that have a stamp on them that show that you're COVID safe. And yes, taking temperature outside of uh, restaurants and grocery stores. It's like what? So someone who needs food at a grocery store who doesn't feel good can't get it. That doesn't make any sense. What kind of system is that? But <laughs> well, so for a world to look on where that kind of draconian control is put, you know, do we deserve what's coming? If the entire world can accept that, then woe to human beings. I can't imagine ever accepting that. And it remains to be seen with the majority of people. But let's face it, when you talk to people now, it's hit or miss. A lot of people are just so absorbed that this is all real and they can't possibly imagine that the biggest coup d'etat ever known in the history of the world, as far as we know, is underway. They think that this is all entirely something else. And the irony of that is, you know, go ahead, wait about six, eight weeks from now, and then tell me what you think just happened. When the government you thought you had doesn't exist, when the monetary system you thought you had doesn't exist. How many times have I gone on the air to say cryptocurrency? The day we get crypto will be the largest loss of freedom in the history of the world. And that has to do with the systems that require us, you know, we have to use systems we don't control for crypto. It's not necessarily crypto itself, but these are the things. They're total control mechanisms that are being brought to bear. And if you have become so narrow-minded as to so willingly give up your freedom as a human being for fear, then we're all in trouble. Because when you see something taking away so many freedoms and your identity with a mask, and your ability to shop for food, you should have already been questioning, is any of this legit? And by the way, we were stopped a number of times here about the mask, and I simply said, you're violating my constitutional rights. If you tell me I have to put on a mask or I can't shop here, and I wasn't stopped once. And as a matter of fact, I'll be very interested to see those few brave souls who do stand up for the things that they think are correct when this ends up going to court on the backside. The scary part about that is, do we still have the court system we thought we had, or will it be something of a point is, if there is any semblance of the idea of rights and constitution or any of the things that supposedly built this country, none of that's defendable. But it remains to be seen who's running what when the dust clears. Mm. Well said. Well said. Man, <laughs> this has been really awesome. It's 
you know, a mixed bag. We talked about some fun stuff. We talked about some very scary stuff, but it is all interesting and it's definitely a pleasure. Keep up the great work with the show and don't be a stranger. As you mentioned, I was one of the first people to interview you and I remember when I called and it took some convincing. We had that <laughs> preliminary phone call and I guess I put you at ease enough because the rest is history and uh, it's just been a, a fun ride, man. So I appreciate you. You know, take care out there. Keep doing what you do. Let the people know one more time if they don't already. I'm sure they do, but where to follow up with you and all that good stuff. Anything you want to leave them with. All right. You know, I'd actually, I remember my wife and I remembered you were in fact the first person to interview me. And I, as you said that, I remembered the call where I wasn't even sure I wanted to do it, <laughs> but the outcome of that started a whole trajectory. Anyhow, people can find me at crow777radio.com. That's C-R-R-O-W. 777radio.com. That's my private server, and I don't use a media server. I serve all my own private content and uh, hope that I can somehow help keep free speech alive. We run the first hour for free, as Greg does. Matter of fact, I modeled most of what I did on how you were doing it at the time. But when I think back all those years, Greg, who knew? <laughs> who knew that all the things we were talking about were about to happen? Because here we are now. But anyhow, Thanks so much, and let's not let two years go by for next time. Yes, I agree. All right, man. Keep doing the good work, and uh, take care out there. Cheers. Oh, oh, it's magic, dear people. The big return of our old friend, Crow. Everybody loves a Crow show. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it. In times of trouble, it is nice to check in with him and see how he's processing and handling such a sudden clampdown on reality, such a thorn in the side of anyone just trying to live a normal life. I also felt like it was the last piece of a certain puzzle or a way to close a certain loop because I had Don Lester and David Parker on, Crow had Dr. Andy Kaufman on, and then we both switched. And not only that, but then Dr. Kaufman had Don and David on his YouTube channel. And me and Crow, who've talked to each other the most, were the only ones who hadn't done so in this situation. So I figured we'd complete the circuit. Good magic, right? And I still get emails from time to time about why I used to have Crow on like every couple of months for a while there. And now he's barely on. I mean, we just said it's been two years. And people do love to uh, dig for drama, but there really isn't any here. He just started his own show. It's a lot of work to just maintain a podcast and a premium membership on an ongoing basis. I also think maybe our interests and thoughts on things drifted apart for a while too, but that's fine. We still like each other, and in this sort of situation, it suddenly becomes less important what we think about aliens or stars or if our system is open or closed. It's fun to talk about, and I certainly made sure we had some room left for it, but these are fucking Handmaid's Tale times, people. We gotta reestablish our connections. And if you haven't seen or read A Handmaid's Tale, it's a pretty extreme dystopia, and I never thought we would even get halfway there. But in it, the world suffers a devastating virus, the U.S. is taken over by right-wing evangelicals, and because people suffer from widespread infertility, they test everyone, they find the women who can get pregnant, 
and they assign them to the elite families. The elite men, basically. But you know how babies are made. So, right, we're not quite there yet, but what I always found creepiest about The Handmaid's Tale dystopia is that out on the streets, people can only walk two by two with an assigned friend, essentially. And if you talk to other people or even get near them, guys with guns will break you up. There are scenes of people trying to communicate and coordinate within the grocery store, and they get broken up, and I always thought, well, how could the system ever justify that kind of behavior? And here we are. But the icing on the synchromistic cake is that this new country that they form out of the rubble of the United States is called Gilead. And if you can still stomach following the news, you've probably heard about this effective new drug called remdesivir, showing so much promise against COVID-19. And who makes that drug? A company called Gilead. It's nuts. It's the single craziest sink in this whole coronavirus saga that makes me think the barrier between fiction and reality is not nearly as solid as we think it is. We've had that discussion before, but this Gilead thing almost pushed me over the edge into Jim Carrey number 23 territory. Am I losing my mind? I'm not sure. But the real alignment, the real common ground between Crow and I lately has been an interest in natural sciences, lost arts, plant alchemy, spagyrics, herbology, this sort of thing. I feel like it's very niche and not a lot of people seem to care about it. I mean, I think our audiences do and we do. But it's a little bit harder to find experts to interview in these places as opposed to, like, ufology. You know, I contacted a few of the most respected herbologists and naturopaths out there a little while back. And I was in communication with two of them, and they both said, I looked at your show, and I don't think I'm a good fit, which happens to us sometimes. Maybe I'd just done underground cloning centers with Donald Marshall or something. But I just found it easier to approach natural sciences through free energy, ether physics, electrogravitic propulsion, and that sort of stuff. As well as the power of sunlight, red light therapy, and the importance of structured cell water for health. But it seems like Crow has some good contacts in the herbology or spagyrics department, and I'll probably take him up on that. And it is funny that they're finally giving people one natural solution to the virus. They are saying on the news that it can't survive in sunlight for very long. Stay inside. The beach and parks are closed. But hey, you should know how medicinal the sun is. And of course, I think a lot of us are just taking this situation day by day. I know my mood fluctuates a lot based on how many friends are willing to break the rules to hang out with me. Recently, it's been more and more, and I'm quite grateful for that. And I find once you get together with a group of six or eight people, everyone breathes a big sigh of relief, and within 30 minutes, it's like nothing ever changed. And at the end of the night, nobody really wants to leave because you already took the risk, quote-unquote, and you just got to start all over tomorrow. 
But once it's happened for a first time, once you've broken that seal, I think it gets a little bit easier. So I'm in a pretty good mood because I'm getting back to normal life on a small social scale. And I get the sense that more and more people are switching gears from being in virus fear mode to being more in a, well, what's open? What am I allowed to do mode? And I'm cool with that. I'm also talking to you one day after the Dr. Judy Mikovits interview that spread like wildfire and all this marketing for the Plandemic documentary. Seems like it's going to be the loose change or the zeitgeist of our day. And I'm also cool with that. I know people have a lot of problems with those particular documentaries or they're sketched out by them. I understand that. But I prefer to focus on the positives and the silver linings, even though they probably aren't perfect and they're probably COINTEL to some degree, whatever, whatever. We need one of those documentaries. You could say Out of the Shadows was one. And yes, they did use clips from THC, just a couple, just maybe even one. But I am in that documentary, though I wasn't asked, yada, yada. I've said this before. But Out of the Shadows is just about pedophilia rings amongst the elite. And we've been down that road, and yes, it's dark and real, but it's also something that's going on out there, as opposed to a movie like this pandemic thing, which clearly is affecting all of us on a pretty personal level. So I think it's a good thing. I obviously have questions about it. Seems sort of like an op. It spread way too fast, and something kind of smells. But the silver lining is that people in my life watched it who would never typically watch such a thing. And that's beautiful. I must have said, welcome to my world, about seven or eight times yesterday. And I really don't care how much my friends and family believe what they saw in that interview. I just want them to understand where I come from. I just want our differences to be less polarized, less black and white. And in that regard, it's been mission accomplished. I don't know. I guess you guys just caught me in a hopeful moment. Maybe it's because my guest wasn't being shitty to me the whole time this week. I don't know. I don't know. But I also think the global vaccine plan is sort of falling apart. I think the trauma spell is wearing off a bit. Hopefully you're feeling the same way in your inner circles, despite the very hot and cold protocols being handed out by the system. But we live our lives in spite of the system, right? Sure, maybe parts of the food supply are tightening up. Maybe you can't go out and get a hormone-filled, double-breasted, GMO, Tyson factory-farmed Franken-chicken right now. But we will overcome. And yeah, Bill Gates is out there talking about invisible COVID tattoos and contact tracking apps and no social gatherings until we have a global vaccine. But I think it's just a bridge too far. You played yourself, Bill. And as scary as that plan has been, I've been saying since we started talking about this, remember, a plan is not set in stone. And I never want to talk about their plans as if they're already complete. And we didn't really talk too much about the economic games being played in all this, because it's really not either of our departments. But I am hearing more talk about a debt jubilee. 
Mitch McConnell is telling states to go ahead and go bankrupt. It's a little weird. But there is one sneaky game I've seen in all this that's worth talking about. So everyone has been traumatized and is fearful of this virus, right? You shut down businesses, and now some states want to open up. And it's not for the good of the people. It's because if a state declares itself open for business, but an individual business owner is still too fearful to open, they can't qualify for any assistance. They can't get the closure insurance. They can't get the stimulus funds. Because the insurance companies just say, well, you're allowed to open. If you don't want to, that's your choice. That's your problem. So to me, this is completely economic. If a state opens, then they don't have to offer any more assistance, and small businesses are forced to shoulder that burden themselves, fire their furloughed staff, or reopen in an environment they're conditioned to think is unsafe. And we know it's probably safe, but another factor is just because you can open doesn't mean you're able to conduct business in the same way, or that customers aren't too scared to come in. So you don't get the assistance, and also business isn't coming in, <laughs> it just feels like they're tweaking everything in just the right way to crush a lot of independent people and their staffs. They're talking about when restaurants open, they'll have to be at half capacity for social distancing reasons. Well, you think a lot of restaurants can survive that? There's a pretty well-established business formula for restaurants and bars. X amount of tables turned over in X amount of time, etc., etc., they operate on pretty thin margins as it is. I'm not sure a lot of places can weather a halving of their capacity. And again, a big part of this is about reestablishing corporate dominance, if you ask me. Because we've had a huge move away from the corporations that dominated the 90s and the shit food given out by chain stores, Red Lobster, Applebee's. No one's going there. People want small and independent. And just when it's coming back and major chains are on death's door, corporate restaurants and malls, they are struggling. But now every policy flips it back the other way. Listen to this. This was a meme shared by Justin Hunt in the THC Facebook group, and it makes my point here pretty well. It says, Walmart, they have 1.5 million employees. Amazon, 750,000 employees. Kroger. 500,000 employees, Target, 350,000 employees, Costco, 214,000. Add that up, that is 3.3 million employees. All of these companies have had very few reported cases in the news, yet every employee in these companies encounters thousands of people a day. None of these companies have closed stores. However, all of a sudden, all the meatpacking plants are closing, and small businesses are still not allowed to open. None of this makes any sense at all. And I agree. You can go through a McDonald's drive through but you can't eat at the little Italian joint down the street that's been operating for four decades. You get it. But either way, it was great to talk to Crow again and to fill out a show with some non-COVID talk. I'm glad we got into a lot of that before we crossed into the second hour, too. But if you sign up for Plus, obviously you get a second hour of all the great shows around here. And in this one, we talked about Evos and Plasmas, Walter Russell's work, 
spagyrics and plant alchemy. Really wanted to get that into the first hour. It is a big reason why I brought him here. But we get to talking and things just go how they go. We also talked about why the periodic table of elements is just one big lie. Food suppliers and the meat shortages coming soon. The very real prospect of a second COVID wave. I'm ready for it. They're going to blame all the people that didn't follow directions. Whatever, whatever. Be like Jack Sparrow. Navigate accordingly. And then we talked about a couple things that are best left said in private. Because there was a point where I asked Crow a question and he asked, are we in the plus show now? Because he's intimately familiar with the setup around here. And some things you would rather not say openly on YouTube or Spotify. Some things you just want to be for the inner circle. Are you inner circle? Sign up for Plus and treat yourself and me. We could both use a come up, don't you think? TheHigherSideChats.com And I'm getting out of here. I love you guys. I think we helped each other cope through this quite well. At least the conversations I've had with a lot of listeners have been very cathartic. Lots of great comments on the site and all that too. I don't want to talk like the whole thing is over. Of course it isn't. And to say I'm at peace with things really isn't the right terminology. To say I'm over it isn't right. But I've just recalibrated and the shock of it has worn off. And uh, this is just our new reality. You got to find happiness in it. And sometimes you just got to look the Goblin King right in the eye and say, you have no power over me. And with that, I declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Your move, COVID quarantiners, handmaids, tale tellers, and facilitators of the moon facade. Your fucking move. Maybe you'll see, goddamn, this plan. No fan spraying on me. Cronies, don't you know they control? Yeah, no.